Well, so far, it's not the end, but welcome to our study of the end. You doing good? Everybody good today? Glad you're here. You ought to be feeling good. Weather's fantastic. It's December, Christmas on the way, and we are choosing to use the end of the year to talk about the end. You ready for this? Are you ready? Let's dive in. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Check out what it says. Blessed. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. The time, he says, is near. Now, it doesn't take a member of Mensa to, to see that things seem to be moving toward an end. It, it doesn't take somebody with a theological degree to, 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 to notice that it feels like the clock is ticking down. Now, we see in Scripture all the time prophecy we do we see prophecies in the scripture all the time in fact I could go back and show you several times even over the last couple of weeks even a month passages that we have looked at that are connected to prophecy we don't avoid that but it is true that sometimes I also just don't make a big big deal out of prophecy either and maybe I should give you up front at least a little bit of an explanation as to why I call them prophecy pet peeves all right and you can attach Jeff to that if you want to Jeff's prophecy pet peeves this is why sometimes I struggle when it comes to the study of prophecy here's my first pet peeve you ready Watching the clock and never taking a shot. Now, here's what I mean by that. Football, college football is nearing the end. In my house, I am blessed to have a wife that loves sports. She, any college sports we love. So as college football winds down, college basketball is going to kick in. And we will watch a lot of college basketball. I love those games that come down to the wire. The ones that come down to the very end, a team's got the ball, they're holding it for the last shot. And you got a guy standing out front, right? The play has been called, a coach has set up a play from the huddle. They're now on the floor, it's time to execute the play. He's holding the ball and he's looking at the clock. And what happens every once in a while is it's like they get clock frozen. And there's a poor coach over on the sideline, and he's watching the clock go down. And you can tell it gets to a certain point, and he's like, let's go, right? Because he's called the play. He knows how many seconds it takes to see that thing unfold. And you can just see him going crazy. He's going, come on, move. And what happens is the guy's standing there, and he's dribbling the ball. He's holding the ball. The clock's ticking down. And sometimes it happens they never get the shot off. And I'm saying I watch that happen in church too often. Where people will study prophecy while sitting in a comfortable church building instead of being the church on mission to the world to which we have been called. It's one of my pet peeves, man. Let us not just watch the clock let's make sure we are a people who are willing to take the shot before the clock runs out does that make sense let me give you a second pet peeve my second pet peeve is seeing signs in everything all right now anybody ever met that person right you, you ever met that person it, you know what i'm I'm going to try to be nice about this, but sometimes prophecy people are weird. 
Can we just say that? Sometimes prophecy people act weird. They do. And, and, if, and if you don't know that, we'll just leave it there. All right? If you, don't, if you don't know that, but some of us know that. Here's what I mean by that. You've met this person. Every political figure is the Antichrist. Every single one of them. Right? Every new piece of technology is the mark of the beast. Right? Every single one of them. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that the unfolding of technology makes all that stuff possible. Some of what it says is going to happen. Technology has to play a part of that. You're not hearing me say it's not a role. But you know what I'm talking about when every single instance, I'm saying in this study, let's not be weird. Let's get some wisdom. Let's get some wisdom. Because the Bible says we are blessed when we study it. We are blessed when we read it and when we take it to heart. Here's the third one, missing Jesus for the symbolism. That's one of my pet peeves, man. When we miss Jesus for the symbolism that is often connected to prophecy. Why is there symbolism? Because they're describing things that there really aren't even words in their day to describe. And so symbols are used. And sometimes it... Prophecy is not given to us that we might figure out the symbolic meaning of the fourth toe of the dragon. You're like, it talks about the dragon's toes? No, it doesn't. I, I'm being sarcastic. It doesn't. It doesn't. But what we do is we spend all our time trying to figure out the point of the fourth toe of the dragon, and the point of it all is to reveal. That's what, even what the book of Revelation means, to reveal who Jesus is. Let's read it looking for Jesus. Can we do that? Because there's a whole lot of it that I don't know answers to. I'm telling you up front. There's, there's a whole lot of it that I'm not absolutely positive on. There are some things I am. There's some things that I am, and I'm going to try to make sure I tell you the difference in those. But my goal in this series is to give you what I call a panoramic picture of the end. A panoramic picture of the end. Because you understand that that's really what we're given in Scripture. We're given a picture here, picture here, picture here, and we try to put that thing together. You know the feature on your phone where you can do the panoramic shot? You know what I'm talking about? Or you press the button and you, and you, you know, you move your phone and then you got this, this, some of you don't do that because it takes too long. It takes you like five seconds and you ain't got time for that kind of thing, right? But, but there's a feature where you can push the button and you get the panoramic view, all right? I like to do that every once in a while. This is one of my latest. Uh-huh. I feel like we should pause for just a moment. That was actually a panoramic view that I took not too long ago when I was sitting in Death Valley in Tiger Stadium. Um, it was our best win of the year, Auburn. That was, it was like, some of you are like, it was your only year of the, win of the year. I understand, but it was our best win of the year. I took the panoramic view of Tiger Stadium, but here's, here's the fact. You can't see everything even in that panoramic view. You can't see everything that I experienced on that day. You cannot. There are pieces that aren't even in that, in that panoramic view. Now, you can't see the stadium club that's right behind me as I'm taking that picture that I just walked out of completely full of gumbo and etouffee, all that I could possibly eat, and I did. You can't see it, but it's a beautiful part of that day. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying when, when we look at scripture and we look at prophecy, there are these pictures that are given to us. Prophecy provides a series of snapshots. It's snapshots. And those snapshots are to show you Jesus wins. That's where we should end with all this. No matter what we, we can't figure out, the detail here or there, the point is Jesus wins, and it is to invite you to choose the right team. That's what we're about in this series. Some snapshots that show you beyond any doubt, Jesus wins. You better choose the right team. One more time, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud 
the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. He says the blessing comes when you read it, when you hear it, and when you what? Take it to heart. You take it to heart. You believe it. You, you hear it and you believe it, which in Scripture means to put into action belief. To believe is, is always to, to sink your life into this. Now, here's our struggle. We are accustomed to being lied to. That's the culture in which we live. We are accustomed to being lied to even at the highest level. We are. I mean, some of, some of y'all are old enough to remember, I am not, what? A crook. Yeah, some of you remember that. Some of you got to go back and look it up, right? But, but right, I am not a crook. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of some wrong. Or, or how about, read my lips, no, new taxes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, and I like that guy. It's like, but he said, no, no, and then there were, right? I mean, there were. Um, you'll love this one. I did not. <laughs> I don't even need to finish it, do I? That's hilarious. You're like, come on, Bill. Tell us the truth, man. Right? Tell us the truth. That's hilarious. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, right? And, I'm, and I could go on and on. I get it, right? We are accustomed to being lied to, even at the highest level. Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. Now, you may not like some of the things that God has allowed to happen. You may not even like some of the things that God has directed or done. But you will never be able to say that God lied to you. Even if everybody else is a liar, God is true. Did you know that there are more than... 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus' first arrival. We're, we're, we're celebrating that. We're, we're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating Jesus being born. We're celebrating his first arrival. Did you know that there are more than 300 prophecies, right? Before it happened, the word was given, hey, this is what's going to take place. Prophecies like Micah, who said he would be born in Bethlehem. Six hundred years before it happened right prophecies like even came from David about about Jesus a thousand years before he appears the first time even words about the cross right just amazing details to embrace the Bible does not require you putting your brain on a shelf I'm telling you if you look at it honestly about how the Bible has been put together and the things that were said before things happened, you take an honest look at that, I'm promising you, you don't have to put your intellect on the back burner. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, there are also more than 300 prophecies in the New Testament about Jesus' return. And I'm saying, if the 300 about his first arrival, all happened exactly like they said it would happen, then maybe we ought to consider the 300 about the next arrival. And could there be something to all this? An example of that, one of the best known um, places in scripture where Jesus promises it is the, uh, the night before Jesus is going to be betrayed, he will soon be arrested, he will be beaten. Um, his face to the place that it is unrecognizable, which guess what, Isaiah prophesied what happened. He's crucified, 
But this is what Jesus says, knowing that's coming. You ready? John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You got to love that about him. He's about to die. And he's saying to those disciples, he's saying to you and me, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And I'm saying, think about all the promises that Jesus ever made. Think about the fact that everybody else may lie, but he has never lied, and he says, I'm coming back. And so then, sure enough, he dies just like he said he would. He rises from the dead just like he said he would, and he spends almost six weeks with those disciples, 40 days he he spends with them. And he tells them he is about to ascend back to the Father, but another one is coming, the Holy Spirit, and he would empower those guys and ladies for the mission to which they were called. And when he says that, all right, that whole you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, Right after that, verse 9, next, next verse, you know what happens to him? Zoop! He's caught up. Up he goes. They are standing there. I got to think mouths open, right? And it says that two, two dressed in white appeared before them. And this is what they say in verse 11, Acts chapter 1. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. And he said, he's coming back the same way you saw him go. Well, how do we see him go? Well, it was, it was visible, right? He went visibly, he went bodily, and he went quickly. And he said, just the way he went, guess what? He's coming back. Every eye is going to see him, right? He, he is still Jesus' resurrected body. We see that after, after his resurrection. He said, he, you're going to see him again, resurrected body. And it's going to be quick. It's going to be quick. So today, I want to just kind of start to give you a bit of a timeline. And then, um, over the weeks that follow, we will do our best to perhaps um, fill in a few, of, a few of those blanks, all right? We might go back from time to time and take one of the snapshots and see if we can't work through a little more of that. But let's, let's start this way, because some of you are here, and you're like, you, you don't even know how this whole story perhaps got started. Well, the whole story definitely starts with God. All right, now I'm not a great speller, and I'm not a great drawer, but I just want to kind of help you get a picture, all right? So try not to be critical. Try to go, okay, what's he, what does that say? And then, and then take it, all right? So you got God creates Adam and Eve, all right? And they have this beautiful relationship. I mean, there's no, there's no issues. There's no selfishness. There, there's no sin until they choose self over God. And then suddenly there is this brokenness. A brokenness that you're going to see the rest of Scripture become this story of God calling people back. Back to what 
was possible in the beginning, back to this perfect relationship, back to where there was no curse of sin. It is though he is calling back to the garden. And I'm telling you that heaven will be that perfection. It will be. And so out of this brokenness, um, God speaks to a guy named Abram. And he says, Abraham, I, I'm going to bless you and your family, but I'm, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. All the nations are going to be blessed through what I do in your line, in your family, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then so on. And God chooses this little tiny nation called Israel. I mean, literally, they, they are just a blip on the map compared to the powers of nations that were in the world then and even that are in the world now. And God says, I'm going to choose this, this little nation. I, I'm going to choose th this people, and, and I'm going to bless the whole world through them. Moses comes along. God gives the law, right? He gives the law. He goes, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. This is what righteousness looks like. But they couldn't keep the law any more than we can keep the law. The law became the picture that that wouldn't make the relationship right again between us, a, a, a people who are sinful, and God, a, a God who is perfect. And, and in fact, they actually ended up taking the law, and then they started adding to the law and adding more to the law to where they even began to... I would say worship the law in a sense. They, be, they became legalistic. But there were prophets. Right? And the message was constantly a God calling his people back. Calling them back. But all of that was really pointing to what? It was the plan in place before the foundations of the earth. It was always going to come down to a cross. And so Jesus is born in Bethlehem just like he said he would be. For 33 years he walks this earth, God in skin, setting the picture for what the kingdom to come would look like. But then he willingly lays down his life. He becomes the substitute. He becomes the one who dies in our place. What we could not do to fix our sin. What the law could not do to fix our sin. He became our substitute, dies in our place, rises from the dead. And then the way was made. That all who would place their trust in him. I don't like drawing the church as a building, but it's kind of like that's what people, I'm just going to use it because we need an image. Out of the cross, for all of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, asking him for forgiveness, he adopts us into his family. He makes us now his people. He used this people to say, I'm going to bless the whole world. I'm going to bless the whole world. And sure enough, through that line, he did something so remarkable that every people, every nation could turn to him in faith and be made right, become the people of God, now empowered by the Spirit with a mission to bless the world. And I believe that what we've already read even today, the promise is clear. Jesus promised that one day, he would come back for his church. And he promised that one day he would come back with his church. One day for his church and one day with his church. Okay? So let's work this. 
a cross. A people. The scripture says that now, as time unfolds, there's going to be a tendency for the message of the church to be diluted. There's going to be this tendency that people want to hear philosophies instead of the truth. They, they want to just have conversations and arguments and discussions instead of truly knowing the truth. And out of all of that, there is coming a day when a man will arise. A man will arise, and he's given several names in Scripture, but the one that is most notorious, John gives us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, reads like this. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, this is how we know it is the last hour. And so John says, look, there's one that's coming. Now you know that there have always been some who have come that oppose Christ. They do. There, there have always been some who are, who are the opposite of who he is. They oppose everything about him. But there is one who is coming, and that title has just kind of stuck. And so today, we refer to him as the Antichrist. In, in Daniel, he's called the man of lawlessness. And there may be, maybe next week I can tell you that story of how even in Daniel's day, God was pointing toward what would happen at the end. What we do know is that eventually the world is going to worship him. The world's going to worship him. Revelation chapter 13 verse 18. Here's what it says. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, that number is, come on, you know this one, six, 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 right? All the way back, Hebrew numerology has equated the number three with God. All the way back. Now that's interesting because they believe in one God, just, just like we, was, we do. We believe in just one God. But we know that God to be in, right, three persons. He is Father, He is Son, He is Spirit, He is three in one. I just find it really interesting that all the way back, Hebrew numerology has always given God the number three. And it is always given man the number six all the way back and so what we've got going on in the end is we've got a man in triplicate in other words God three man who is six You've now got a man who is 666, man in triplicate. He is a man worshipped as God. I believe that's what that means. He is, he is worshipped as God. The Bible tells us he is going to be like the devil in a body. Satan is going to work through this man, but he will be so charming. And he will be so clever. I mean, you, you talk about one who's able to, to move people, who's able to navigate situations. He will be so charming and so clever. At, what point he's, at one point, he's going to, to lead a ten-nation confederacy. I think in, in European territory, we, we, we can decipher those things as we read through prophecy. And in the end, what makes them want to worship him is he will promise them two things. He will promise the world, number one, financial security. You're like, really? Yeah. 
It's what everybody wants, right? Financial security. And he's going to promise it to the world. Now, come on. Some of you right now have to deal with people who are, who are entitled, right? They, they feel entitled. It, it means that they, they believe something right belongs to them, that, that they, that it's, you know what I'm talking I mean, it's just that whole entitlement issue. I'm telling you, it ain't going to get better because eventually this guy is going to entitle the whole world. The whole world's going to come to him looking for something, what they want, financial security, and he's going to promise that to them. The second thing he's going to promise is peace, peace. Never make a deal with the devil. They will. Never make a deal with the devil. That's like paying the cannibals to eat you last. In the end, he will eat you up. The nations of the world will make a deal with him. And they will choose the wrong kingdom. Let me show you a little bit more today. When he arrives... Hopefully, I'll get better at this as we go through. He starts what is referred to in the Bible a seven-year period of time called the tribulation. Now, John talks about it, but long before John talked about it, Jesus talked about it. Check it out. Matthew chapter 24 Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. I think we got more. There you go. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And so what we're told is when this guy shows up, it, it, there will be the beginning of what Scripture calls, Jesus called, John calls this time of tribulation, a seven-year period of tribulation. At the beginning, he will make a peace treaty with Israel. That's what we're told. He's going to make a peace treaty with Israel for a period of time. They will be in his lap. And so for the first three and a half years, it's going to be bad. But for the second three and a half, it's going to be what Scripture calls great tribulation. Because in the middle, at the th about that three and a half year part, this guy is no longer going to hide the truth of who he is. He is going to reveal who he is, and then he will begin doing his mission, which has always been to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what he begins to do at that point. He will go after the Jews. He will go after the saints. He will want everybody to be identified by the mark that is his. We're told that that second three and a half years is going to be so bad. I, God, even in that second three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation, when you read in the Bible about vials being poured out, God's judgment being poured out, that, that is when a lot of that takes place. Jesus said, look, there are going to be signs to all this. You're, you're going to be able to recognize it. There's going to, be, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's natural disasters. Now, come on, you don't have to be weird to look around you and just go, ooh. All the stuff that unfolds. He says it'll be like a woman in labor pains. That's like one of the scariest pictures in all of Scripture right there, isn't it? Have you ever seen that? 
He says it's like a woman in labor pains ready to give birth to a whole new world. And what we're told is at the end of that seven years, right in here, is the last battle. You know it as the battle of Armageddon. Oop. See if I can do better. We'll just leave it at arm. The battle of Armageddon. You thought it was just a movie. No, the scripture talks about a last battle that will be fought, which is when Jesus returns with the armies of heaven. He returns with the saints. He returns with the angels. Jesus returns with the armies of heaven, and there will be a battle to end all Battles. You talk about a World War III type of picture that we are given where the, the blood runs three, four foot deep, Scripture describes. We might get into that a little bit, but it is the battle to end all battles. And so if you ask me, Jeff, when is the promise that Jesus says he will return with the church? I believe it's crystal clear. I know exactly when it's going to happen. Not the date, but the event. At the battle of Armageddon, the end of the tribulation, he returns with his church. Let me read you a little bit about what that's going to be like. Check it out. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Woo! We're a long way from baby Jesus in the manger, aren't we? He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus with a tattoo. Yeah, on his, on his thigh, written King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the place parents get mad at me. Jesus got a tattoo. You don't have to let your kid get a tattoo. When your kid says, I want a tattoo, and you're like, no, you can't have a tattoo, and they say, well, Jesus had a tattoo, you just simply say, you're not Jesus. <laughs> you're not Jesus, we're not Mary and Joseph, you don't get a tattoo if you don't want a tattoo. But, but then stop blasting all the people who are like Jesus, all right? They got tattoos. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But he's got a tattoo, it's written on his thigh. What you see in John in Revelation 19 is Jesus is flexing his God muscle. He is taking the planet back. By the way, that whole language of treading the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God, you know what that is? That, that's, that's where we get the battle hymn of the Republic. That's why that should sound a little familiar to you. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. That's where it came from. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. That's where the song came from. Personally, it is crystal clear to me. This is the picture of the promise that Jesus made he would return with his church. And I believe it sounds very different from the places that I read in Scripture where he returns for his church. 
And so what we're just going to talk about for just a couple minutes and then we're done and then we're going to come back and we're going to pick some things over the next couple of weeks. But we're talking about uh, is there a difference in Jesus' return with his saints and is there a difference in what we sometimes call the rapture when he comes for his church. And sometimes people will say, well, the word rapture isn't in the Bible. Yes, it is. It is. It's just, it's always in verb form. Harpazo, it means to be caught up. And you're like, okay, well, when, when is that going to happen? When is it going to happen that, that the church is going to be caught up with him? Well, some people believe that it's right here, the same event. They would believe that his return happens at the same time that this caught up picture is presented. I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. If that's what you believe, then you hold a view that's called a post-trib view. A post-trib view. And man, I hope you're wrong. All right? I hope you're wrong because if that view's true, we're going through all that we've talked about. All right? Then there are those who believe that it, it would happen more here at the midpoint when it talks about the great tribulation kicking in and when he truly reveals who he is to, to the whole world that that's going to be the point when, when we are caught up out of here. If that's your view, then you would be a mid-trib position. And then there are some who believe that it happens over here that at the beginning of the tribulation... The church will be caught out. If that's the case, you are a pre-trib view. Now look, we may have some of all of these here. And we love you. And I would even argue that there are people who, there are verses that you could use to argue all three of those views. There are verses that could be pulled from Scripture to go, I think it's this, and I think it's this, and I think it's this. Now, me personally, I believe your stronger, your stronger argument is the pre or the mid. I think that's your stronger argument when you're trying to look at God's Word and see what's written there. But, but I'm saying, ain't none of us, none of us in charge of the timeline. He is. And we're trying to read it, and we're trying to understand it, and until we all are equated with his authority in writing the timeline, we're going to keep loving one another, even if we differ on when he thinks we're going to be called out. If there was ever a mission accomplished, it would be the picture of an enemy, Satan, who wants to destroy, and he would get God's people to sit around in a comfortable building and fight each other over when they think Jesus is going to come back and get them, rather than do what they've been called to do. That would be mission accomplished by an enemy. Let me read to you real quick, and we got to get out of here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, here's what it says. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who fall asleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage, not fight, encourage one another with these words. Now, I'm just saying to you, when we read the passage a few minutes ago in Revelation chapter 19, that sounds very different than what I read in 1 Thessalonians 4. It does. What we read before was this picture of heaven coming down, Jesus with the armies, Jesus with his saints, establishes a, a foundation on earth, takes back planet earth, and reigns for a thousand years. What we read in 1 Thessalonians seems to be this picture of us going up to meet him in the air. Those who have already died before us but know Jesus, they get a bit of a head start. Why? Because we got a few feet on them, right? 
Now their souls, their souls are already with Jesus, the Bible says. But their bodies, they get new ones just like we get new ones. And together we're going to be united with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Where do you want to be when the rapture happens? Like where do you want to be when that trumpet call happens? A loud command and the voice of the archangel and whoop. Where do you want to be? Personally, I don't want to be anywhere up high. Because I want the full ride. You know what I'm saying? I mean, wouldn't that be a bummer if you were skydiving that day? Right? <laughs> You're skydiving that day and whoop, out the plane you go. It's like, whoop, right there, right? You, all that stuff that would have been really cool, right? On that day, man, we're, we're going up. That would be pretty cool. A pole vaulter would be pretty cool, Right? of Jesus believing pole vaulter and at just the right moment you plant that pole and over, right? Will he clear 13 feet, right? 20, 30, 40, he's still good. That'd be pretty cool. High dive would be all right. No, I want to be somewhere down low, get the whole, whole, whole deal. Cemetery would be cool. No, that'd be cool. Cemetery would be cool because in that moment, the the dead in Christ are going to get new bodies, come rising out. There's a cemetery not too far out of town here. I, I swing by there every once in a while. It'd be a cool place to be when trumpet blows. See my sister coming up out of there, that'd be kind of cool. New body, that'd be kind of cool. There's some cemeteries in the south where I grew up. Got a couple of grand grandmas that I'm kind of, Excited to see again. Both of them love Jesus like crazy. And uh, when they left, they were both really short and kind of round. So I'd be curious to see what Grandma's new body is going to look like. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> grandma, gets, grandma gets a new body, right? Sounds like a country western song or something, right? Grandma gets a new body. I got a grandpa. I got a grandpa and another one down there that, that uh, I'd really like to see. Um, where my wife and I were married, there's a cemetery there. I, I got a brother-in-law there. He only lived in this world a couple of days. Um, he's going to get a new body. I'm, I'm curious to meet him. But you know what? After thinking about all that, it's like, truth be known, though, we're going to have plenty of time to see them. We are. We're going to have plenty of time to see them. Don't get me wrong. I'm excited to see them, but we get to see them forever. You get that? Like after we've been there like a million years and you're all of a sudden going, there are no less days? There are no less days. A million years and it's still forever that, that we get to be forever. So many of us, we, we experience things in this life where we see people's lives that get cut short. You can't cut short what's made for eternity. They're forever. Yeah, the time's a little short here. It is. But in the whole scope of the picture, their lives did not get cut short. They are made for eternity, and we're going to get to see them forever and ever. Maybe what we ought to be caught doing when the rapture happens, when Jesus returns, is maybe we should be doing what we were made to do while we were here, because once the clock runs out, what we're called to do here will no longer be the mission. Maybe we should be telling some people about Jesus. Maybe we should be caught when the trumpet blows at our neighbor's house opening up God's word going man this is the greatest news I've ever heard in my life and I want you to know how he loves you some of you need to be on a mission trip you know cool so I made the call a couple of weeks ago we need some folks to go to Taiwan in the spring we need some young lives. We need some retired lives. We need people whose God has given you freedom that you could go for several months because we need to take some students in Taiwan to heaven with us. That's our mission. We got a people group in Togo where, where a church needs to be planted that the gospel can be spread. But what happens so many times is we're sitting around trying to make this heaven we want to make this a place of safety and make it a place of security. We want to keep everybody happy. And the call is stop watching the clock and shoot. Stop watching the clock and shoot. You got a mission one day. This mission will be done. A loud command, a voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God will sound. And this mission will be done. And we will be with him and with those that we love forever and ever. Don't be scared.
be prepared. Which may mean some of you here today need to trust him for the first time. Maybe some of you even here today, you need to trust him for the first time. I'm gonna pray for us, we're gonna sing a little bit. We're gonna be right over here to the side. If you have never made such a step toward trust in Jesus, I'm inviting you to come visit with me, with us over there. We'd be honored to help you take that step. Come on, don't be scared. Be prepared, this is coming. It is going to happen. Are you ready? God, I pray for those who might be here today. They have never put their trust in you. God, I'm asking that the blindness that comes, that an enemy often tries to put in front of us, you would take away. And here today, we could see the clarity of your love. We could see the truth of a cross and a resurrection and a promise of heaven. God, I pray for those who today need to turn their heart toward you. They need to surrender. God, in the sense of we need you to lead our life. We need you for forgiveness. We need you to be our king. God, would you do that in hearts today? I pray for your kids. God, as we move through this study, God, today, just, just even getting the overview, much less as we tend to, to dive into some specific places and, and see how amazing your promises are and, and how you enable us to see some things around us with eyes that, that we couldn't normally see. God, would you stir in our heart an urgency that we won't just watch the clock, but we will move with the mission that you have called us to, that lives will be transformed and your great name will be known throughout the whole earth. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen.